Think about it. You can be a serving church. You can sacrifice. You can suffer for the name of Christ. You can do all those things and God not be first. He didn't say you didn't love me at all. He said, I'm not first. He said, you've left your first love. We need to realize that in the busyness of life and even in the busyness of ministry, we can be doing things for Christ but not be right with him in relationship because he's not first. As I look around at our audience, hey, you're here the first Sunday. You look like you're close to God. Some of you got your your God books open. You got your Bible open or got your Bible on your app. You look like you're close to God. I mean, we just had nine, ten people on the praise team serving, and they serve week in, week out. We had adults here yesterday cleaning. I mean, the youth, last year at this time, Carson was in a wheelchair. Mandy was taking care of her. And as far as youth leadership, it was just me. Now, we've got a team of eight. I mean, God has blessed us, and it is incredible, and I am loving it. But we were here yesterday cleaning. There are many of you who are involved in kids' ministry, and you're busy working. I mean, we are busy working in ministry, doing things, and I look around and I think, oh, man, this group, you're close to God. You're after it. You're doing right. But Christ says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You've left your first love. We need to realize that even in the busyness of all of these things going on, that we need to realize what is first and what should be priority, and that is your relationship with Christ and nothing else. If we would just simply do that and focus on Him, everything else would actually fall into place. You see, we will always make time for what's first. I mean, as adults, do you not feel like there's just some days there are just not enough hours in the day to get everything done? I just I got as much done as I could. It's been time. I'm wore out. I'm tired. But you always have time for what is first. And what is happening is God says, look, you've lost your first love. You just make time for me when, when your shows go off. You make time for me maybe when you spend time with your family and with your friends. When you finish doing the things that you want to do, maybe you'll fit me in and maybe you'll spend 30 seconds before you nod off at sleep at night. He says, no wonder you feel like you're losing your mind. No wonder you feel like you don't uh, have my power, you don't feel my presence any longer. No wonder you don't feel that I'm part of your life anymore. No wonder you feel like you're in a deep well looking, looking and trying to find a way out. No wonder, because I'm not first and I'm not where I need to be in your life. If we realize that God is first and we put him first, all those other things will fall into place and take care of themselves. He will help you handle all those other things. It's just a matter of priority and what we are placing first because we always have time for what we want to do. Do you want to spend time with God? How do we do that? Well, we look in verse 5. In verse 5, he tells us how we can make sure that he's first. In verse 5, he says... What? Remember. He starts out, verse 5 says, remember. Number one, how do we return and make sure that Christ is first? Remember. Remember how it was when you were first saved? Remember how you first came to me? You were just so excited your sins were forgiven. It was before all this stuff. It was before all of these distractions. It was before all these other things. He said, remember. Then he goes on and says what? Verse 5 says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, 
And then what? Repent. Repent. Do you realize that in Scripture there is only one thing that he has called us to repent of? And that is sin. So not having Christ first in your life is sin. It is spiritual rebellion. He should be first. And you need to repent. Repent is not saying I'm sorry. Repent is not saying I'm wrong. That's just a confession. Repent means I am going one way and I realize I'm going the wrong way. I need to get off the exit, go around, turn around, and go back the other way. We need to repent and ask him for forgiveness and turn back and make him priority. You want to start off the new year right? Make Christ first and foremost in your life and all those other things will fall into place. And then in verse 5, he not only says to remember and repent, he says, and do the works you did at first. He says to repeat. He says, you remember those things you used to do? Repeat that. Think about those of you in marriage. You know, we just spent Christmas. I wonder if your husband or your wife got you the gifts that you wanted or if they just messed up. <laughs> they just didn't do well this year. But remember when you were first married? The gifts didn't matter. As long as I had you, as long as I had your love, that's all that mattered, right? Christ says, repeat that. Remember that. Remember when you were just excited that your sins were forgiven and that you knew that I had provided a way for you to go to heaven and that's all that mattered and you would come to church and worship other believers because you were so excited to be in a relationship with me it was before all of this stuff. It was before all these distractions. It was before your careers and all these other things took off. It was before you had kids and stuff. The only thing that mattered was our love. Christ says, repeat that. The only thing that should matter is my love for you and your love for me. Because remember, he said what? He didn't say that I left you. He said, you left me. He says... In verse 7, he said, He that has ears, let him hear. He's not talking about this ear here. He's talking about your spiritual ear. He's talking about your heart. He said, Those of you who will listen, listen. You see, what happens is we get so busy in ministry and we get so busy here and we put our focus on church and religion and we think we're doing things right. But in reality, we're just pacifying ourselves. Because religion has the power to pacify you. To look around and think because I'm in church, because I'm doing what I think is right, then hey, I'm, I'm in good standing, I'm in good relationship with God. And you're just pacifying yourself. You think about a baby. When a baby's crying, but it's not time for them to eat yet, what do you do? You plug it up, right? You put a pacifier in. And the baby's just sitting there sucking. He thinks he's fine. And he pacifies himself or herself. And eventually, the baby will realize, wait a minute, with all this sucking, I'm not getting any nutrition. And that's what happens with us at church. With all this showing up, I'm here, I'm busy, I'm involved, but are you getting the nutrition that you needed? Or are you just pacifying yourself? Think about a dad who travels. There was a dad, and every time he came home, his kids were so excited and they would come running, hey, daddy's home, daddy's home. And they would love him and give him kisses and hugs. Yes, they were so excited that dad was home. Well, dad missed them. And so since he traveled a lot for his work, 
he, would, he began bringing them a gift, a toy. And so they were so excited, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. And then they were excited to get the toy. Well, after a period of time, when Dad was home for a while and wasn't having to travel as much, they were going to Dad asking, Dad, when are you leaving again? Why? Because they were after the toy. See, Dad no longer mattered anymore. What was important was the toy. What happens is a lot of us come to church wanting God to give us blessings, wanting, wanting the toy from God. Instead of coming for the person of Christ, we come wanting the blessings and wanting God to give us stuff. I've even got a family member who has his own business. And I remember several years ago, he was writing out a tithe check. And he was writing and he was trying to hurry and get it in. And I was like, dude, what are you rushing for? You've got time. It's okay. And this is his response. He said, no, you don't understand. I've got to, I've got to get this in. And I was thinking, you're tithing. That's great. He's like, no, I've got to get this in. He said, because I want God to bless my business. He said, I want to make sure that God continues to, to bless my work and give me work. And that's what we do. We come to church thinking that, well, if we get this thing, or if we do a little bit, then God's going to bless us and give us a toy, and we are just simply pacifying ourselves. We need to come like we did when we first accepted Christ and come to worship Him corporately and also spend time with Him daily for what? For the person of Christ and for Him and for Him alone. If you will, if you turn over to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. You see, Christ here is telling us one more thing of how we can ensure that in 2022, we're going to make sure that Christ is first. He not only tells us to remember, to repent, and to repeat. He gives us one more thing, and I want to make sure that we as a church and as a family, as an individual, that we make sure that Christ is first, and this is how we do that. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, we read Jesus' last words to his disciples before he rescinded and returned to heaven. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now in English, there are several verbs here. There's go, there's teach, there's make disciples, there's baptize. But in Greek, there's only one verb. That's make disciples. All the other verbs that we read and see, they're participles. They're just, uh, they're just in addition to the verb. The real verb, the real thing of the great commission that we've all heard and talked about is not just going out and telling people. It is to make disciples. Christ calls us to make disciples and make this the great commission. All those other things, going, teaching, baptizing, those things will happen those things take place, but the priority here, the focus on this verb is to make disciples. All the other words that are translated, they just modify the verb. Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, states this. He says, the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor to baptize a lot of converts. Now, I'm going to stop there because that's all I've ever heard all my life. It is to preach teach, baptize, and just reach people. However, he goes on to say that, and to teach them the precepts of Christ, it's not just for that, but is to make disciples, to build men like themselves who are so constrained by the commission of Christ that they not only follow Jesus themselves, but, and this is key, they let others 
to follow him too. You see, most churches judge their success by how many people come in the door, accept Christ, and are baptized. We need to change that criteria. The criteria of the success of our church should be those of us who are believers, but not just believers, who are disciples who then go and make disciples. That should be the criteria in which we choose or which we judge our success upon. It should not be the number on our roll. It should not be how much the budget is increased. It should be whether or not we have people who are willing to be disciples and who then go forth and make disciples because this is the great commission. You want to make God first this year? You want to make sure that he's a priority? Do this. If we focused on making discipleship important, all everything else would fall into place. Attendance, budget, ministries, all those things would work themselves out. They would fall into place. Making disciples and making discipleship the priority is what our focus should be on. You see, we are not a church plant anymore. We're not a baby church. We are a church that can stand on its own two feet. And when we focus on just reaching people, we grow wide. Now, we need to grow deep. We need to grow deep. We need to make sure that when we spend time with God, we make it and we make it real. When I talk about you spending time with God, not just on Sunday morning, but each and every day, you don't have to give Him all day. You don't have to give Him five hours. You don't have to give Him an hour. Just start with five minutes. Just make it real. Make it real. When you start to feel his presence, when you start to feel him working in your life, when you start to see how prayers are answered, you'll extend your time. But you need to learn to walk first and take the baby steps because, because if you do so and you make it real before long, you'll be ready to run. You can't just start out running a mile. You've got to start walking, walking first and work your way up. Spend five minutes with him. Make it real. You see, we get the word disciple uh, from the Hebrew word called Talmud. As Talmud, it means a student, but more than that. A Talmud is someone who would find a rabbi, a Jewish leader, and who would go and sit at their feet. When they sit at their feet, it's kind of like an application process. And the rabbi or the teacher would begin asking them questions, begin observing their life, and they would um, uh, determine whether or not they could be their disciple, whether they could carry on the cause. And so a Talmud understand that he did not only want, and so for the next few years, if you became, if you were accepted and you were his disciple, for the next few years, you would begin imitating their every move. So the point is that as a disciple, we should not only want to know what Jesus knew, but do what Jesus did. And to live as Jesus lived. That's a disciple. That's a Talmud. And that's what Christ is calling us to do. To not just know what he knows, but to live as he lived. In the book of Acts, the verb make disciples is used both to describe the initial act of helping someone come to know Christ. As well as the act of helping them in the lifelong process of discipleship. In Titus 2, Paul commands the older women to train younger women. In Timothy 2... 
Paul in 2 Timothy 2, Paul t- uh, tells Timothy to train faithful men in his, con- in his congregation so that they can train others also. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells fathers to train their children in the ways of God. In Matthew 28, as we just read, he commands all believers to uh, teach and make disciples of all nations. In Hebrews 3, the writer tell, uh, commands all Christians to exhort each other and build each other up every day. The Great Commission doesn't apply to just a select few. The Great Commission applies to us all. The Great Commission for us to make disciples is not just for those who are in ministry. It is for everyone. Understand. Christ said in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you are his disciple, he's making you into that. In John 15.8, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. How do you be a disciple? How do you show that? By bearing fruit. Which means if you're not bearing fruit, the question remains, are you a disciple of Christ? Because there is no such thing as a barren Christian. That's a contradiction. Disciples who make disciples reproduce. Because living organisms reproduce. If you are alive in Christ and you you are a believer and follower of him, then it is your responsibility to go and make disciples. Not just go and tell, but to bring someone in your life and have them live with you side by side, teaching them how to live like Christ. They simply follow you and live and follow Christ the way you live and follow Christ. His plan for reaching the world is not through ministries. It is not through talented preachers. It's through ordinary believers filled with the Holy Spirit, making disciples everywhere that they go. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. You. You are his plan. So the question is, well, not only what a disciple is, but what is this discipleship-making process? How in the world did I fit in that? Jeff, if you're telling me that I'm supposed to do that and invite someone in my life to follow Jesus... Look, I'm not, you know, that talented. You know, I really don't know that much. I'm really not sure about that. It's not about you. It is not about your ability. It is about your availability. In Matthew 11, 11, Christ says, Of all those born to women, there has not risen any greater than John the Baptist. Which means if Christ were here today, he'd have John the Baptist on podcast. He'd be listening to John the Baptist. He'd be quoting him when he spoke. There was none risen risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But then Christ goes on to say this. But I assure you that he who is least in my kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Christ says, look, you think about it mathematically. There has to be someone least in this room, right? And some of you are thinking, well, maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. The point is not who is least. The point is, if you know Christ and you are filled with the Spirit, you can do things greater than John the Baptist did. Christ is saying, if you are filled with my Spirit, you can do greater... That's right, shout it out. You can do greater things than John the Baptist who wasn't filled with my Spirit. Because Christ hadn't died on the cross at that time. This is what we are called to do. We are called to be disciples. If the church got good at discipleship, we wouldn't have to worry about attendance and those things. Those things would fall into place. Um, I had two youth pastors growing up. 
Mark and Tony. Uh, Mark, Tony was great, don't get me wrong. And if you ask Mandy who her youth pastor was, she's going to say Tony. Uh, Tony was wonderful. He went on to become the principal at a Christian school. He's actually principal at, at a different school now. He was a principal of a Christian school for 20 years. Tony was great. He was incredible. I love Tony because he remained steadfast, and he never wavered in his faith. Mark, he ended up going to a bigger church, bigger opportunity, ended up having an affair and divorced his wife, and it broke my heart. But early on, Mark poured into me. See, my parents didn't go to church a lot, so I had to find ways and find rides a lot of times. And Mark lived close to me, and so I would ride to him. So spending that extra time with him, he just poured into me. And you know, I don't remember any sermon that he preached. I don't remember anything that he taught, but I remember him praying. I remember him counseling students who were struggling. I remember the way that he showed love and care and concern for others. And it didn't matter what he spoke. It mattered how he lived. And me being around him and watching him do that made my faith come alive. That's what we're called to do. And it can make your faith come alive and you can make someone else's faith come alive if you just spent time with them day in and day out living the Christian life. That's what we're called to do. The identities of a disciple are this. First, you're a worshiper. Christ said, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Oh, and the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you live life that way, you live life in a worship, worshiping the Lord. See, the Christian life is not worship on Sunday. The Christian life, it is worship. Worship is the Christian life. It is something that we do day in and day out, and it is a lifestyle. First, as a disciple of Christ, you are called to live a life of worship. And by the way, some of us have used COVID as an excuse to not return to cor corporate worship. Maybe I'm not talking to you guys. Maybe I'm just talking to the ones that are watching online. Now, granted, understand, hear me out. There are certain individuals and families because of immune systems, because of health risk. You don't need to return. You need to, to stay and watch online or what have you. You need to play it safe. I get that. I understand that. But there are a lot of people who have returned to work. They've returned going out to eat. They've returned to sporting events. They've returned to other things. They've returned to shopping and stuff like that. But when it comes to Sunday morning church worship, now, they can't do that. We're just going to watch that online. You cannot be a disciple and worship corporately and be part of our community if you just dial in a few times or show up once in a while. That's not a true disciple. That is actually a lack of discipleship. So we're not only called to be a worship, and that leads me into the next one, which is we are called to be family. See, that's what a disciple is, someone who's family. A disciple is actively committed to the church, to the church family. He's not just a believer. He or she is a belonger. I just had surgery. Um, and I really wanted to play a game and come in with crutches, have Josh come and pray over me, kick the crutches out and start walking around. We didn't, we didn't want to do that. I mean, we didn't want to do the healing service kind of thing. 
But I was just going to play around and do that, but I didn't. But when I had surgery, you know, I had a couple of family members who actually called to check on me, who provided food and stuff. But the majority of the people who called to tell me that they were praying for me, who told me they loved me, they were cared about me, who would check on me, who brought us food and brought us more food, it was you guys. You see, a lot of times the church family is even closer than your biological family. And that's okay. Because we look at this in Matthew chapter 12. Check this out. This is what Christ says in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? <laughs> Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and mother. This is how Christ feels about the church and his disciples. You are family, and you cannot be family if you just show up once in a while. To be part of a church is not an event. It is a community. So not only are you called to worship, not only are you called to be a family, you're called to be a steward. A steward not just of your finances, but of your time and your talents. You do realize that God has provided you everything. He is the one who has given you your finances, your career. He is the one that has given you talent. He is the one that has given you your time, the very breath in your lungs. And he has called us to serve the church with our time, with our talents, and also with our finances. And can I just be transparent with you just for a moment on this part of being a steward? This is something that I struggled with, sadly, that I struggle with as far as tithing. See, my wife struggles with chronic migraines, and she's a nurse, so she used to work full-time, and as her migraines continued to get worse, she had to go part-time so she wouldn't lose her job, and eventually she went to reserve staff, and then when you reserve staff, sometimes you get hours, sometimes you don't, and her paycheck was always up or down. Sometimes she got paid, sometimes she didn't, and she ended up not being able to work at all, and then she actually worked from home for a while trying to continue to work and assist me to where the burden or pressure wasn't just on me and she ended up losing her job and so during all this stuff with pay was up or down uh, our tithing was set up through our card and the card and I don't remember if it expired or if our checking account card if we had to just get a new one and so all of a sudden we weren't tithing and so for several months I didn't tithe because of everything that was going on we had an elders meeting, and it was me, Josh, and Steve and I, so it's been several years ago, and Josh called me out lovingly, and we talked through it. And I basically said, you're exactly right. I need to make sure it's a priority and make sure it's important. So we began tithing again. And so I'm not sure how you have yours set up. I love the fact that we can set it up online. Ours is set up now through our checking account. It has nothing to do with our card, so it comes straight out. And so before, uh, it might have been right after Mandy lost her job, we increased our tithes quite a bit. It's just me. I cannot tell you how. I just know that it comes out every single month. I don't miss it. And in fact, this year, I have changed positions at my work, and I'm in a different department, and we've increased our tithes starting in 2022. I didn't get a raise with the, with the way the transition work. So I'm not increasing my tithe because I, have a, I got a raise. I'm increasing my time because I felt like God wanted us to. It's not much. 
you realize God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need it. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. And I can't, I can't begin to tell you how much God has blessed us, even though my wife hasn't worked in almost two years, a year and a half to two years. God has blessed us tremendously. I haven't done anything different. I just made sure that we have continued to give because it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. Not only has he called us to be a steward, he's also called us to be a servant. A disciple is someone who gladly gives them themselves for the good of others. Christ came to what? He said, I came to serve, not to be served. You realize what he did on his last day here? Before he died, he washed the disciples' feet. If I knew that this was going to be my last day, I would just spend time with my wife and with my kids and with family and friends. Christ washed the disciples' feet and just served them. That's what we are called to do. This time, I want to make sure that you understand that, you know, I am not worried if you leave the church. I'm not worried about you disavowing from the faith. But as your student pastor and an elder in this church, I am worried about you truly never becoming a full disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, we say the word that, hey, we're a Christian. And in fact, if I were to go around and ask each of you if you're a Christian, you'd say yes. But if I were to ask, are you a disciple? You'd probably hesitate. Why? Because it means more. And we need to understand the difference because I feel like in our society, in our culture, that word Christian, we've kind of conveyed what it means to be a follower of Christ, and that's not it. Christian today you realize that Christian term is only used three times in the New Testament? The word Christian is used three times, but disciple is used over 250 times. Why? Because it means more. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples says, and the disciples were first called Christians. That were called, that's passive. That means it was a name. It was a name calling. It was a derogatory statement. People were saying, look, there's those Christians. There's those little Christ. There's those little followers of Christ. But what do the disciples call themselves? What says so in that verse? The disciples. So if we quit calling ourselves Christians and call ourselves disciples, then maybe we would clear some of this confusion about what it means to be a follower of Christ. In fact, let's do this. We've done this before, but it's been a long time. So some of you might not have been here. Some of you might not even remember. Let's spell that word Christian to really understand what it means. You ready? You going to spell that with me? You ready? Let's spell it. C, you can do it with me. You ready? I know some of you, you didn't win a spelling bee or anything, but I'm going to do it with you so you'll be okay. You ready? C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Good job. Some of you did that. Some of you are still confused. We're going to try that one more time. You ready? C H R I S T stop. What does that spell? Christ in a Christian's life should be everything. I A N. I am nothing. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And to be a happy new you in this new year, make sure that He is first and foremost. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for how we were able to look in your word this morning and understand 
what it means to be a follower of you, Lord, and it means more than just saying that I am a Christian. It means more than just saying that I believe in what you say and that I believe in your words. Father, it means more. I pray, Lord, that we as individuals and as a church family and body, Lord, that we would become fully devoted disciples of you and that we would not just want to know what you know, but to live as you lived and do what you did. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.